0: and welcome to another episode of the TV Avalanche Podcast. I'm Brian Grubb.
1: I'm Alan Seppenwall,
0: And we are from Uproxx. Today on the show, we will be discussing the series finale of The Americans. We will be discussing The Americans as a whole. We will be taking some of your questions on The Americans, as well as some general questions, some of which are related to some news that one of us may or may not have. So let's go with that. Alan.
1: Yeah, Brian. I heard you got a hoagie at Wawa today. Want to, Don't the people want to hear about it?
0: It was fantastic. It was fantastic. I had a uh, turkey shorty with bacon on a wheat roll. But uh, you know, I, I would say that's the big news of the day. Yes. But I mean, slightly below that, I don't know if you want to share anything with the people.
1: Yeah, for those of you who do not know, who who don't follow me on social media, don't read the blog, just are listeners of the podcast. Today is my last day at Uproxx. Starting tomorrow, I'm taking a new job as the chief TV critic at Rolling Stone. I'll be writing for the magazine. I'll be writing online. And that unfortunately means the end of a number of things, including my participation in this wonderful podcast that I've had so much fun doing for the last year and a half. But all good things, unfortunately, have to come to an end, man.
0: Yeah, what the listeners at home can't see is that as Alan's saying that, I am – standing on the beach singing into the ocean like in the boys to man end of the road video just silk shirt blowing in the breeze as as all this happens no i mean it's a it's a great opportunity i'm i'm very sad to to see you go you've been a wonderful coworker, and uh i've had a blast doing the podcast but uh i'm very happy for you and you know we will uh we will both move on as we need to right
1: yeah i'm definitely going to miss like just Daily Slack goofery with you, although I may just have to set up a private Slack for the, for you and me so that we can send gifs back and forth as opposed to texting because it, I have to overcomplicate everything.
0: One of these days, I'll convince you that it's pronounced "gif" instead of GIF. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I mean this. I've I've had a blast doing this with you. I, I obviously, Alan and I will stay in touch. We will have discussions about television that none of the world will get to see or hear. There will be. Uh, Private and uh, probably not quite as PG as they are on the podcast. Again, I'm I'm amazed that through the length of this podcast, I've made, I've only sworn once. It's miraculous <laughs>
1: to me. I'm very proud to of me. you. I said like maybe we should we should try to go with the all ages rating in the podcast store, and you know you were able to do it. It's
0: a miracle. It's one of my greatest achievements. Like when I pass away, those I want the the, the people to lead with like he was a good man. He did 65 episodes of a podcast and only swore once. His family loved him. Like that's number – that's right up there at the top of the list.
1: Uh, He had a lot of thoughts about Zoo. He did. He sure
0: did. My gosh. What if that's – what if like – what if when I I pass away, I just leave a list and I – Brian asked me to read this at the ceremony and it's just like a list of the crazy things that happened on Zoo. He'd like to remind – he'd like me to remind all of you – that at one point, Bob Benson from Mad Men slapped the four-star general in the face while asking him where a sloth was. And everyone's all somber and quiet. That'd be
1: great. Uh, Maybe I should just read the Lost letter again from last week. That was delightful. One of, among the many sad things about this is I'm not going to be able to guilt you daily about watching Lost until you finally do it.
0: And there's no one keeping me accountable, so I will never do it now. Damn it! I will never do it. I'm just... On a future going forward note related to the TV Avalanche podcast, um, Alan is is leaving up rocks. The future of the podcast is—I don't want to say up in the air. The podcast will ideally continue at some point. We're in discussions. We have what I would classify as ideas more than plans. So there will be a temporary hiatus while we figure some stuff out. But uh, if you are subscribed to this feed and you enjoy hearing, my nasally voice, talk about uh, terrible things that happen on television shows. Do not fret. I I imagine we will find a way to continue uh, giving that to you for free as we've been doing all these years, year Uh, and a month.
1: I should certainly hope so because I want to be able to hear you talk more about TV. And at some point, whether it's in this episode or in the future, I want to hear you sing your Brooklyn Nine-Nine theme again.
0: I might. I might. I almost I, honestly. I almost opened this podcast by singing "End of the Road," but I literally started sweating as I've explained <laughs> to you. When, when it comes to a moment on the show where I think I might have to sing, just sweat just dripping off my face. It's not. It's not. I don't even have a napkin, so I don't know if I'll be able to sing today.
1: <laughs> All right, fine.
0: All right, so uh, should we start with the Americans?
1: Yeah, they they said goodbye before I got a chance to. So I know.
0: I'm, and by the way, I'm kind of glad this worked out the way it did because we get to go out uh discussing the end of one of our favorite shows, you know. Yes. It would have been weird if, if the last episode we're just talking about some crappy Netflix show that both of us were about to give a B minus to, you know.
1: Yes, no, this is a way to go out and we could have brought in some reviews of some other things and so there's some good stuff coming up in June, but let's keep it simple. The Americans is ending, so is our podcast partnership. Let's celebrate them both. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So where do you want to start? All right. So
0: the Americans came to an end. Uh, Well, the bullet points of all of this are, again, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. We'll hit you with timestamps when we get to the spoiler-free part of the mail. You know, you can jump back in if you haven't seen or don't want to hear. But the short version is Philip and Elizabeth, quote-unquote, get away. They go back to Russia. But in doing so, they – decide to leave their son Henry behind so that he has a chance at a semi-normal life. And in the process of fleeing to Canada, their daughter Paige leaves the train and stands on the station as Bono wails in the background and everyone's heart falls into a million pieces. So they, quote unquote, get away with it. But in doing so, they lose both of their children and everything they've had behind and There's a very dramatic scene with Stan in the garage. There's a potential reveal about Renee. Uh, I assume we'll get into all of this as it goes along – where do you want to start from all that? we got a lot to dig into. All
1: right. Well, I was lucky enough last night. My, my buddy Matt Seitz hosts a TV festival in New York, and last night it kicked off with a screening of the finale in a theater full of that 200 rabid Americans fans. So I get to see it again with them and sort of hear them gasp at certain moments and hear them. They literally just burst into applause at the end of the parking garage scene because they thought it was so well done. And the, their response when Philip starts telling Stan about Ren- is sort of like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the movie equivalent of it, but it might be like, you're going into the haunted house, please stop right now. They were they were both delighted and horrified at the whole thing. Uh, it was great, and it was an episode that I really liked a lot when I watched it the first time, and as I thought about it and worked on my my recap of it. But seeing it the second time, I liked it even better. I feel like it's one that's going to hold up very, very well to repeat viewing because I think we all came to it with certain expectations about, you know, oh, you know, one of them is going to die, both of them is going to die, one will go to jail and one will get away. This, that, and the other thing. Stan's going to die, and nobody dies. No shots are fired. Stan only has his gun out for a few minutes there in the parking lot. Um, it's a much more low-key and internal finale than I think a lot of us were expecting. And so when I was able to look at it the second time without those expectations and just enjoyed for what it was, man, it was good.
0: Yeah, we talked about this. You watched the finale before I did and then proceeded to peer pressure me into watching it over and over and over a over period about 48 hours and I finally did. And then we discussed it and – the one thing we immediately – I wouldn't say disagreed on, but the one thing that we were kind of going back and forth on was, was there enough punishment for Philip and Elizabeth at the end of the show considering everything that happened during the show? And again, this is where you and I I think came down a little differently. I, I'm not sure what I wanted. That's the problem. Like I didn't have a blood yeah. list. I didn't want either one of them to like, get their head blown off. And I didn't necessarily want either one of them to go to jail. But there's – there would have been something a little more – fitting is the wrong word because the finale was beautiful. I loved it. And this is not saying what I want would be better than what they did. I'm just saying like different universes. Another universe where Stan gets to haul one of them into the FBI offices and get some sort of victory on that front, I think there's something there. I think – the first time I watched it, I was a little tiny bit uncomfortable with the two of them staring out over the Russian skyline, saying "We'll figure it out," because it just seemed that there's so much bad that both of them did. That you know that yes, their kids got left. The, they, yes, they had their kids. They didn't get to take their kids to Russia, but I don't know. I loved the finale. I thought it was really good. I thought it was really well done. Americans, one of my favorite shows ever. I just – in the immediate moments after watching that, I wasn't quite sure how I felt about there not being a more definitive form of retribution for all the bad things they've done in the show.
1: Sure, I get that. I totally get that, and that was a thing I wrestled with for a long time because there's – like we we empathize with these characters. We understand them. We care about them, but they've – They're monsters. They've done monster things. Elizabeth is a more overt monster, but Philip has done so many terrible things. He just tends to feel guilty about it, and therefore we are more forgiving of him than we are of her. But, like, both of them should have gone to jail for the rest of their lives at a minimum, and that didn't happen at all. But they lose their kids. They recognize, as Philip articulates very well in that scene in the garage – like, they've devoted their entire lives to this mission that now neither of them believes in and that they have, like, actively subverted at the end. Um, they're going to return to Russia to a country they haven't seen since they were essentially kids, that they don't recognize, that's about to become even more unrecognizable. You know, McDonald's is a couple of years away from having a, a branch in Moscow. Uh, and it's just, it's going to get worse for them. And they're, I just, I, you can't look at it as a happy ending for them. Is it punishment enough? No, because almost nothing would be considering the number of people they killed, but they do, they suffer a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, I, I definitely uh, agree with that point of it. There's definitely, um, when they get to that ending point, you can see it on their faces, especially in the train, that scene in the train, when it, they both individually see Paige standing on the landing. You yep. can just see in their face, like, this, this horror, realizing what's happening and what it means and, and and everything with that. I I came out of the finale, it changed gears a little bit. Of all the characters, where we left them, where they left off, Paige is definitely the one who I feel the most for and who I'm the most worried about going forward, I think, because Henry, I can see an out for Henry. In that he didn't know anything and Stan's there with him and, you know, if, if if you need some sort of guidance, having an FBI agent as a guy to help you get through it is probably pretty good. But Paige is just royally hosed right now. You know, her, her parents are in Russia. Claudia is gone. I, I don't know. Stan was willing to let them leave the garage, but now that Stan knows Paige was involved in the plot, is Stan willing to let her just go back to school and live in America? Or does she now go on the run? Or the, uh, we, That's the one at the end where I was so lost. Well, we
1: don't know. But here's the thing. Stan lets them go. So it's not just that everything in that garage is fruit of the poisonous tree. It's that if Stan exposes Paige, Paige can expose Stan. And we've seen in the past, we saw what happened with Nina, that Stan is willing to sort of sacrifice himself – For what he believes is right. And you and I, we can debate for a while and I want to about his motivations for letting them leave the garage. But like, would he then rat out a page if it meant he in turn had to tell people what he did? Because that could also hurt Henry because we have to assume that he's going to have to take care of Henry now. There's There's a lot of different things in play here. So Paige could get away with it. On the other hand, you know, is Paige a good enough liar? Is she going to hold up under interrogation because the FBI is going to bring both those kids in and Adderholt's going to interview them? And we saw with Father Andre how good Adderholt is at interrogating people. Um, is she going to give it up on her own or is she going to get away with it? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I saw a, a reader named Jeff sent in an email right before we started recording actually who said that Paige's best hope is fleeing to Argentina to hang out with Pastor Tim. And yeah, she could like change her name to you know Brenda Sacramento and run off to Argentina and live live there from now on. I, I don't know. That's that's possibly an option, right?
1: Brenda Sacramento. I'm I'm so glad we're getting one more of these.
0: Yeah, I I have a, I have a whole list of them. Whole list. I could go for days.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's uh, I I think. The finale leaves a lot up in the air in terms of what's going to happen next. And you know, for Paige, it's a big one. For Stan and his marriage, which we have to talk a lot about, it's a big one. For Philip and Elizabeth's lives in Russia, which we got a couple of good questions about, it's a big one. With Paige, I feel like just seeing her go into Claudia's kitchen and take out the vodka and drink it, it sums it up nicely because whether whether she gets away with it or not, you know, whether she goes to prison or just sort of returns to her own life, what does she have? You know, Henry has this whole life. He has these friends. He has the school. He has hockey. He's a great student, et cetera. He can come out of this and be OK. All Paige has – she has no friends. She's talked about this. All she has is this spy life, which she has come to recognize is no good. And, you know, she ran – she literally ran away from it at the end. So
0: – Yeah, and if she's not going back to – the only other person she has in her life is uh, her little boyfriend, cute Brian – who works in the State Department or whatever, but or works for one of the senator's offices. But, yeah, she's not going to get to hang out with anyone who works at a, for the U.S. government if she's getting hauled into the FBI for questioning.
1: Yep. Will never so, happen because even if she is completely exonerated, her parents were Russian spies. No one will ever give her a security clearance or any kind of no. government job.
0: No. So we'll – What would you say of the finale? Do you have a a single favorite moment?
1: There are two. One of them is they play virtually all of With or Without You, and then the song drops out when the Border Patrol cops are checking IDs, and then it just starts to come back on as the train moves, and just as Bono starts to wail, Paige is on the platform. She has left them behind. It is so perfect. And the amazing thing, which I learned last night at that screening, the editor of the episode was there, and he told us after that, like, With or Without You was a, re- was a relatively late addition to the episode, in part because they were having trouble getting the band to approve it. And for a long time, that whole sequence was going to be scored to American Pie. What? It was going to be scored to American Pie, and it was edited to American Pie, so that that moment is the the last verse, the stripped down one. You know, I met a girl who sang the blues, and she asked me for some happy news. That's what it was going to be, and somehow, despite it being edited for that, it works perfectly with the U two song. It's amazing.
0: It works perfect, and that's like that's one of those gutting moments where you you're kind of happy for Paige but also terrified. And it's there with the amount of television that you and I watch. I'm sure there are not a lot of moments that are huge surprises to us. Yep. There are a lot of things that are telegraphed or they're foreshadowed, or they do things that other shows have done that you can see. I legitimately did not see that coming, not even a little bit. And you to time it up with the visual and the musical cue, just I, I just wow. That really kind of shellacked me for a minute.
1: Yeah, so that's one. The other is the entire garage scene is a masterpiece. Like, that's the actual sort of climax of at least the spy portion of the show, if not the whole show. But the moment at the end when Philip's about to get in the car and he turns back and he pauses, he's like, should I say it? Should I not? Oh, by the way, Stan, you know, just in case we haven't shattered your world enough, I think your wife is a spy, but I have no proof and I'm not sure. Bye!
0: Stan's poor brain because not only has he now put together a that his best friend uh, has been a spy the whole time he's known him and that he's been working him a little bit and that his son dated a the daughter who was a spy like he's finally putting all that together and he's just getting over that betrayal and he's just decided like I'm not going to bring these people in I'm going to let them go do their thing like he's already ripped apart emotionally He's like torn his heart open, laid bare. He's like a dashboard confessional song, standing still in the middle of the garage. And then t- Philip Thurston was like, oh, hey, P.S., I don't know if your wife is aspired up, but you might want to think about it. <laughs> like,
1: good God. It's awful and it's perfect. Like I was so convinced uh-huh. they were going to screw up the Renee thing because they dragged it out too long. And so either answer would feel unsatisfying at this point. And instead they don't give us one, and they put us exactly in Stan's mindset where it's like we're never going to know, and he's never going to know, and it's going to destroy the marriage. It may destroy his whole life in the process because as we saw in the first few seasons, Stan Beeman can go to some dark darned places, you know? Uh,
0: Yeah. The the thing I wrote about it today, I said you know, the whole season, the whole last two seasons, we've been uh, forecasting doom for Stan Beeman. And then we've been forecasting it in one of two ways, which is the either he gets shot trying to catch them, or he doesn't catch them, but they're caught, and then his whole career, professional life, is ruined because he's lived across the street from a spy, it was his best friend, he didn't know, blah, 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 blah. And he they they danced away from both of those. The second one they danced away from. By having him go to Adderholt in the other episode and saying, "Um, I think these people might be spies. And then Adderholt telling him like, you're crazy. You're overthinking it. So that way when it did come to be true, Adderholt's not going to be like, Stan, you idiot. How didn't you see this? It's, oh, I'm an idiot. I didn't believe Stan. But instead what happened is they ruined the poor man's life in an even worse way. Because now not only is he going to have trust issues – for the rest of his life, with friends and anyone he meets, based on the Philip thing, now he even getting a resolution to that, he doesn't get away from it because now it's in his bed. Yep.
1: It's real. It's really Ugh. bad because it's there's no good outcome. You know, outcome number one, he investigates her, and whether he finds the spy or not, he has investigated his wife. It's over. Outcome number two, he sits on it. He doesn't do anything, but he he can never not know it. He can never not hear Philip's voice, and it's going to ring and fester and poison everything. And whether she's a spy or not, ugh. it will it will not end well for the two of them.
0: No, and just to be clear, he's one hundred percent going to investigate her. He's Stan Beeman. He's oh, FBI boy. man. I mean, think about he's poking around, the, and especially after what he what happened with the Jennings where his suspicions from the first episode of the first season proved to be correct all those years later there's yep. no way he he's just a frazzled man now i mean i i bet if we would zoom forward and see like 5 years from now he's just going to be like in a bathrobe with his hair frazzled hasn't shaved like 4 days just conspiracy walls on every wall of a studio apartment that he lives in by himself he's going to be the type of person who you know, it's going to be going on YouTube videos, connecting the dots, proving that, like, this is a conspiracy to this, to this, to this. He's the, the poor man. He's going to be the star of an InfoWars show at some point.
1: All right. So then, but you say he's an FBI man, he's going to investigate. The FBI man lets the two Russian sleeper agents, who he knows, even though they're lying to him in the garage, he knows are responsible for many, many, many deaths. Over the past 10 years, including probably the death of his previous partner, Chris Amador, he lets him leave the garage. Why does he do that?
0: Um, I don't think he was planning to until they were able to connect the same dots to the things that Oleg was telling him. And I think once that started happening, that started softening him a little bit. And then Philip gave him the speech. And I I honestly, beyond that, I'm not 100 percent sure. Because when he walked into the garage, he looked dead set on bringing them in. Like he had that steely face. He had the gun out. He he did not look like a man who was wavering. Although I guess if he wasn't wavering, he would have brought backup and not walked in there by his damn self.
1: Yeah, and it's it's so funny. I'm like screaming at the TV, and my wife can attest to this. Call it in, Stan. Call it in. And when he didn't, I thought for sure he was going to die in that garage because Elizabeth would get the drop on him and snap his neck or something. No.
0: There, there was a moment when I was watching that when he's talking to them and he has a gun on them where this tiny voice came into my head and this voice in my head said, if Renee walks in and shoots Stan in the back right now and tells the Jennings family to leave, I'm going to freak out, to throw my computer on the
1: ground. Uh, I would would not have been happy with that, though. I would not have been happy because, again, it's just – it's not coming out of nowhere because Philip did voice that suspicion in the previous season. But I don't know. I wouldn't have liked it.
0: I wouldn't have liked it at all. That's why I was saying, like, if it had happened, I would just throw my laptop on the floor. That's it. I don't need to know what else happens.
1: I mean, I feel like it's partly the Oleg-Russia thing. Like, between the three of them, they were able to convince him – This is an important message and this is – this isn't treason. This is actually you helping out both countries. But I think part of it is just – it's like what he says to Philip. He says, you are my best friend and he can't kill his best friend. Um, And once they make it clear that he's going to have to either kill them or let them go because they're not getting down on the ground, he lets them go. Elizabeth calls the bluff.
0: I feel like – yeah, Stan – Stan is gonna come out of this ruined. I'm backtracking on it now because Paige has a chance to at least say I was indoctrinated by my parents. This is a bad situation. She could cop. What am I supposed to? Do she could again? cop some tiny plea, and I'd mention this in the thing. Write some memoir about like my life as the child despised, and make a million dollars and go on Oprah. But Stan, he's he's too old for that now, man. He's, that's it. He's. He's just a, a ruined, ruined man.
1: Oh, God. Well, maybe he gets to raise Henry and that'll be okay. I got to say, like, weirdly, the moment of the finale that makes me most emotional, uh, especially on second viewing, Stan enters the hockey rink Oh. and the, the song is playing. And he has this half smile on his face as he watches Henry play hockey, because it's basically like the last happy, carefree, innocent moment of Henry's life, and to a degree, the last carefree, uncomplicated moment between Stan and Henry. Yeah. And then he's going to have to go in and tell him and ruin everything.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, it. what's funny is that an episode where the only person who went to jail is Oleg, who was already in jail, and nobody dies, and yet it's devastating on about five or six different levels because it, it went, you know, and this is an episode that started out with a lot of killing and a lot of sloppy killing. You know, where Elizabeth yep. messed something up and she had to kill someone. And then she messed something up and she had to kill someone.
1: The, se- the season.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going and Okay. And just over and over and over, it started out with a lot of missions going bad, leading to people dying. And so the body count for this last season was really rising, rising, rising. And then to have the final episode, no body count. No, it's just interpersonal moments tearing each other apart. I I really dug it. I really liked the show. I think they went out uh, in a really great way that was true to the show. Like I said, the only thing in the moment at the end, right as soon as I got done watching it, I just wasn't quite sure if I was okay with them getting to go live in Russia.
1: Sure, no, I get that. And, there's, and the thing you have to think about is, in Russia, there is Misha. In Russia, there is Martha. In Russia, there is Gabriel. There is Philip's brother. There's a. They have people there, and obviously they had to leave their children behind, but he does have a child there and other people that they care about, so it's – you can envision them refashioning some kind of lives for themselves. That's okay, and on top of that, the wall comes down in a couple of years. And the Soviet Union is no more and it becomes much more easy for an American to travel to Russia, to communicate with someone in Russia. So there could be a circumstance if Henry is willing, and God knows why he would at this point, but if Henry was willing, where he could come see them.
0: Yeah, but even that would be dicey because someone's going to be watching Henry for the rest of his life off and on probably. So for him to be like – I'm going to go to Russia and visit my former spy fugitive parents. Bye. You know that <laughs> that that might be a uh, a dicey situation on a few different fronts.
1: Possibly, but on the other hand, like he could just say, "Look, I'm going to see my parents." You know, and the and that's not that in and of itself is not a crime. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So I know uh, a little bit. We'll get to the questions in a second. I just wanted to. I know the season before this. You and I were a little lukewarm on just because it felt like it was – stalling might not be the right word, but it wasn't progressing super fast. Yeah. Are you – do you still feel that way about that season now that we've seen the finale? Or do you now feel that that was necessary pieces of foundation that need to get laid to get us here to deliver the punch of the moments we saw?
1: Uh, If anything, I feel worse about last season now because – You can't spend that much time on Misha and then have the series end with Philip returning to Russia and not show them meeting. It just, it it seems like a really bad narrative choice. And if you pretend that the Misha arc of season five did not exist, then I don't need to see it because we don't, the finale leaves a lot of other things unsaid but it's always then said involving characters who got some level of closure or some level of farewell with our two main characters. There's never that. So that to me is, you know, not great and annoying. it's the one thing I'm kind of annoyed about with the finale, but that's more on the execution of season five and the choices they made there than this. And I I don't really feel like season five like the Philip needs to retire arc and the Elizabeth finally learns about her humanity through art arc were both really good, but they probably like you could have done both of these stories in a slightly supersized fifth season. I, I feel probably they could have. What like about a break
0: you? That situation where they do seven, one season and seven, the next or something,
1: something like that probably would have been feasible.
0: Yeah. I, I'm, my problems with the previous season are some of what you're saying. Some of, We spent a lot of time in Nebraska or wherever with that uh, Doof Ben, the green guy. And I really – I just didn't like him. The wheat. We spent so much time on the wheat. Oh, God. I hated that guy so much. And in hindsight, I don't know how much that was necessary to pay off whatever we're doing. I know that eventually we had to get to – Philip wants to retire, and one of the reasons we got there was they killed the one scientist, and it turned out to be for nothing. And then he kind of lost his mojo trying to woo the other lady. That when Elizabeth was out with Ben the wheat scuzz, he was having a little bit of trouble. <laughs> kind of
1: so much, I love it. I hated him
0: so much. Such a doof. Like every time, every time they cut to him, he was in the kitchen stirring something up. He's like, "I learned this from the monks of the." It's like, Good, shut up, shut up, and make hamburger <laughs> helping <laughs> you. You live by yourself. No one believes you. Oh my god! Sin- single man living in an apartment by himself. There's no chance that his freezer's not stuffed with like hamburger helper and uh, TV dinners. Get out of here, Ben! You liar. God. Let's go to some mail, so I don't freak out about Ben's. Yeah. Family. Oh
1: my goodness, we got we got so much really excellent mail here. Um. All right. You want
0: me to start? I'll start. Yeah. Beth- Bethany says, "Why wouldn't Oleg get out of prison? Gorbachev isn't removed from office." And therefore Arkady Ivanovich's faction must get back in control of KGB and would probably not forget someone who helped them get there. And Oleg has a powerful family. Why wouldn't they just trade for him?
1: That is certainly possible. I don't really understand the the vagaries of these kinds of swaps. Arkady makes a big deal of the fact that Oleg is going not as an official agent because at that point the KGB can't be trusted – But he was going under the instructions of someone working for Gorbachev, who winds up retaining power and bringing about all these changes to the country. So maybe, but I also don't know that America would necessarily want to let him go. We will see. I mean, I feel like the best they can probably hope for is that Philip goes to see the Barov family, you know, both the mom and dad and the wife and baby, and say, look, his sacrifice wasn't in vain because he got us to stop this assassination plot. Um, You know, and stop this plot against Gorbachev and therefore save the country. And, you know, and we had to come home to make it happen and he couldn't make it. And we're sorry about that. But your husband is like one of the great heroes of Russia. I I feel like that's maybe the best ending he can hope for.
0: Yeah, I'm not exactly a uh, scholar of uh, Soviet era, Russia or the Cold War. So as far as the international relations aspect of it, I'm not exactly sure. But I have seen a lot of spy movies some of which star Jason Statham. And I know from those that when when a leader or some sort of uh, central figure sends you on a mission that is off the books, a lot of times that means you're out there to drive by yourself. Yep. So they, you know, they might not be able to trade for him because it wasn't ever an officially sanctioned government thing. And even though they may have prevailed in the power struggle, I don't know that they can get then go to the United States and say like, Oh, yeah, we sent someone over on an off-the-book spying operation, and we'd like him back, please. Yeah. I I don't know how well that works, so. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, he's basically – he's Michael Weston. He just got his burn notice and then thrown in jail for decades.
0: Yeah, the one thing I noticed, they were talking about him having like a 30-year jail sentence. Yep. And a 30-year jail sentence would get him out right around today, 2018. So there's a – in the – in the where the real world and the Americans come together, Oleg could be walking out of prison today in his 60s.
1: Oh, poor Oleg. Poor Oleg. That moment that moment when Mr. Barov gets off the park bench and he kind of thrusts his arms out to the heavens in a why me gesture, why, why my family gesture. Oh, it's so sad.
0: Yeah, you could have uh, you could have set that to the Bono whale, too, and it would have worked. <laughs> All right.
1: All right so. Next, I, I think you've got a good answer for this one, but I, I want to talk about it, too. Kyle wants to know, what is post-spy life for Philip and Elizabeth even like? Is Elizabeth milling around that empty grocery store Martha shops at while Philip tries in vain to bring line dancing to Moscow?
0: Yeah, so these are obviously fair questions. I'm not exactly sure what – anyone is going to do they don't their job skills consist of running a travel agency and being a spy so i don't know exactly how much those uh carry over into life in russia the thing about the grocery store though this is something that was interesting to me it's something i mentioned to you after we got done watching it something i just wrote about which is i don't know how big a world moscow is at the time but we do know that oleg and martha kind of cross paths without knowing in that sad grocery store, which means there's a possibility that Martha will bump it to Philip at the grocery store. And it means there's a possibility that she won't know it's coming and will turn the corner and just see Philip AKA Clark shopping in her grocery store after everything that he put her through. And now she had to leave and move to run and she just loses her mind and just starts firing cans, like dented cans of vegetables at him before being escorted from the store because Martha's got to have a lot of pent-up rage about all that.
1: She does. On the other hand, you could imagine it like things sour between Philip and Elizabeth because they just can't get past the fact that like they wasted their whole adult lives and drove their children away. And even though they're sort of bonded at the moment, they just sort of can't stay together. And, you know, if Philip's lonely, Martha was always the less complicated of his wives
0: I do wonder what that life's going to be like because you saw – once both of the kids were out of the house and you know Elizabeth was doing her spy stuff and Philip was out of it, but there was not a lot of like uh, affection between the two of them. There's often romance between the two of them. There's often these like moments of passion, but there was not always a lot of just straightforward affection, and a lot of it was tied to them doing missions together or them doing things together for the kids or with the kids, or these external things that push them together. And this trip to Russia is going to do that. But at some point, they're going to be living in an apartment together, and they're going to have whatever jobs they can get, and they're going to get into the monotonous grind of daily life. And I don't know.
1: And when that McDonald's opens, he's going to be very excited, and she's going to be so enraged. I feel like maybe that's the day that the marriage falls apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah, plus they've got all of these skills as assassins that are not going to be put to use. And again, if I know anything from movies, it's that someone is going to come knock on their door at one day and they're going to say like we need you to do this job for us. And then they're going to say we're retired. And then that person is going to say we need you to do it because you're the best there ever was. And then they're going to do it. Oh, I've- that's how that that's how movies and TV work.
1: I forgot, by the way. An important question. Is Renee a spy? Mm.
0: I've been on team Renee as a spy since the first moment I saw Renee. So I really don't see why I should jump ship now.
1: Okay. So you read that look as she's watching the FBI agents with the file boxes as, what a shame that my comrades you know blew their cover. I
0: think she's looking at that and thinking she's processing many things. One of them is... Interesting, you know what I mean? Just that they blew their cover—that this thing happened. But it was—it was a very weird look. It was like almost a almost a blank look. It wasn't the look of concern. It wasn't. I—I I don't know what the normal look you have on your face is when your next door neighbors are revealed to be Russian spies. That's never happened to me, but it. There seemed to be something very cold about it. I don't know. I'm still Team Renee as a spy. Always will be.
1: Fair. I think I probably am at this point, but I just love the idea that we're never really going to know and it's going to eat away at him. And it will eat away at me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it will be the type of thing where like you and I will uh, go out and grab dinner four or five years from now. We'll be having a lovely dinner and a glass of wine. And at some point, one of us will say, is Renee a spy? And the other one will just spike it down. I don't know. Damn it.
1: Why would you bring this up again? I told you not to.
0: Exactly. This will be like, you know, me bringing up that I still haven't seen Lost.
1: Oh, Brian. All right.
0: Next question. Cynthia says, what is your favorite season of the show?
1: I feel like it still is season two. Like there might be better overall seasons of the show. You know, three and four are, are fantastic as well, but two was the moment when it went from oh, here's a really good show to ooh, this might be like an all time show. Uh, just and it wasn't even that they did anything drastically different from the first season. They just sort of they tweaked a few things. They started like they write, started writing for Page better. They started um, weaving in the family and the spy stuff much more deftly than they had before and that whole mystery arc about who killed the other spy family was very compelling. And so that was, that was when I was really drawn in and it still has probably my favorite episode of the show, Marshall Eagle, which has, you know, the great Philip line, you respect Jesus and not us.
0: Yeah. I, the, um, the second season, you're right. The second season is the one where it kind of went from, the interesting show about Russian spies starring Felicity from the CW show Felicity as a WB Russian WB
1: show Felicity. Uh, Give the WB, WB some respect, that. man. Oh, Jeez, uh,
0: my deepest our, our intern Chad messed that up. That's his fault. He put it Chad. Wrong his Chad, it's, it's, it's a good thing we're coming to an end of this podcast because we can finally let Chad go. He's made so many mistakes. Um, No, it's cool. It's very cool to see a show – make that like mini jump from interesting premise interesting show to ooh you know i want to keep watching it so i think i might be with you i i binged the third and fourth was it the third and fourth or the second and third i was i started i got a little behind on it i kind of binged two seasons together so some of the stuff runs together for me but i do remember i want to say it was like The second half of the second season and the beginning of the third, where I really started getting over that hump, where it started being like, this show is bleak and nothing nice happens to anyone, and yet I must keep watching because the quality of it is so high and I'm enjoying it so much. And it was right around that period where it really kicked into that for me, where it became a weekly watch. And that's that's always even if there are better seasons and better moments down the road, those are always the moments that I remember the most fondly. Yeah.
1: All right, so the next uh, two we should do, I think, together. Okay. All right, so the first one is uh, Ben says, now that the Americans is over, where would you rank it among the FX lineup? And Ted says, now that it's over, where would you rank the show in the all-time pantheon? Do you have any thoughts?
0: You know, I was thinking about this, and... I could actually combine my answers into one for the most part. So, all time Pantheon, I would say it's below like your all time great shows your Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Sopranos, Wire, Zoo, your all time great shows. What? Brian. What? Did I say something? Yes. Oh, but no, it's, you, it's, know what you, it's it, you know what you did? I know what I did. It's right below, it's below those. But I think it's above some of the like better network dramas, especially like the 90s ones. So I would put it in both answers kind of right around where I would have the shield. Okay. As far as you – know, the the best FX shows, FX does comedy and drama. And I have trouble comparing comedy – like putting comedy and drama together because I think they do different things and everything. But – my favorite FX dramas are like Justified, S.H.I.E.L.D., The Americans, One Season of Terriers. Yep. So I, I don't know. What about – you literally wrote the book uh, ranking the 100 best shows. So you are the authority on this. Where do you think you'd slot The Americans? Would, would it, have you thought about it enough to know where you would slot The Americans in that list today?
1: I've thought about it enough to have a sense. And obviously, like, I need to have some distance from it because the shows that I felt most uncomfortable with our rankings for when we wrote it originally were the ones that had just ended fairly recently. Um, and so I feel like I would need at least six months, a year, two years to really be able to look back and say, all right, this is this is what it is and this is where it is. But I do feel it would be somewhere in that top 25 probably after The Shield, which I think is around you know 12 or 13, but it could wind up being just ahead of The Shield. I don't know. Somewhere in that, outside the top 10, but in that next tier of shows, um, in part because the the fifth season wasn't that great. The first season was just pretty good, uh, in part just because there's been so many sort of landmark shows of all time, but it's really, it's, it's a special one, and I feel like probably it's going to grow in my estimation, as it goes along. And so that, I guess, technically answers the other FX question. And we'll have to see how we feel about Atlanta when Atlanta ends. But right now, The Shield is still, you know, was, until this, to my mind, clearly the best FX show, even though I love Justified. Americans is at least making it a discussion.
0: All right. So let me give you four shows that I would put in that second tier and just kind of gut reaction what you think about where they are related to each other. But one of them might not be in the second tier, but it's ended recently, and I am trying to calibrate what I think about it. So we've got The Shield, we've got The Americans, we've got Deadwood, and we've got Halt and Catch Fire.
1: I see Deadwood to me is a clear top 10 show. So that's. Okay. Deadwood is above all, all these other great, great shows, by the way. These shows are all great. You know, top 20 in the history of American television is pretty good. Pretty good.
0: So you would go Deadwood, then some combination of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Americans, then Halt and Catch Fire?
1: Probably. I mean the whole, the last few years of Halt and Catch Fire were extraordinary. Um, I,
0: I, the shows are so different too. Yeah. Like There are four shows that are incredibly different. You've got a western. You've got a gritty modern crime drama. You've got a period piece about Cold War espionage. And you've got a piece about technology in the – 80s and 90s where it's like you got like three shoot 'em ups and one just emotional roller coaster tearjerker.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's kind of interesting though to compare the endings of The Shield and The Americans in that both of them involve a character who on paper gets away with everything and in another way gets away with nothing. So uh yeah, oh. I I would say probably gun to my head. It would be Deadwood clearly, then Shield, then Americans, then Halt and Catch Fire. But you know, ask me tomorrow, my answer might be different on the other three.
0: Yeah, I I, I was as I was thinking about that, I was glad that I asked you that question and you hadn't asked me yeah. because it means now I can just say I agree and move along without having to actually. Because I loved like the final scenes of Halt and Catch Fire. Was one of my favorite final seasons of television, ever. Just it was so good, and it because it went out on such a high note, it you leave thinking more fondly. Yes. You know the the Simpsons. Whenever the Simpsons ends, the Simpsons is, uh, almost undisputedly, either the greatest show of all time or on a list that you know you could hold in your hand. Yep. It's it's a big deal but you know there's so many seasons at the end that have kind of diluted the the most classic moments of it that it's not going to go out with that same push and that's you know it's two different ways to go about it I, I have a feeling a lot of the people at the simpsons are not sad that they've collected hundreds of millions of dollars over the last you know 15 years of the show that maybe didn't live up to the first chunk of it but
1: so all right So the next question is an important one, I feel.
0: Do you want to ask it or should I?
1: Let me ask it. All right. Dylan wants to know, who do you think Henry would root for in this year's Stanley Cup final? The Washington Capitals, his hometown team featuring a Russian superstar who has never won the Cup, or the Vegas Golden Knights, a first-year expansion team that was supposed to suck and instead turned into the most fun thing about the modern era of the NHL? And who would Elizabeth and Philip root for, assuming they survived the finale and lived to 2018? Let's let's take Henry first, Brian. What do you think?
0: Okay, now just to be clear, are we talking about who would 17-year-old Henry root in this situ- root for in this situation? Or are we no, talking about No, no,
1: forty-seven-year-old who- middle-aged Henry Jennings, whatever he has made of himself, because the, we're talking about the 2018 uh, Stanley Cup final.
0: See, it would be very hard because on one hand, he may have some justifiable hatred of all things Russian because of his history. So he may – Washington Capitals, he may have a hard time loving uh, Washington and or anything having to do with Russia. On the other hand, he is now at the age where uh, a lot of times new cool things uh, are not as exciting to you because you did it was yeah. better when I was younger, blah, 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 blah. So I kind of don't know – I would lean towards Washington just because of the hometown, whatever. But I would also like to point out that most of the hockey that I've watched in my life has taken place in the Mighty Ducks movies. Okay. I'm not not a huge hockey fan. Most of what I know about hockey comes from the three Mighty Ducks movies that I've seen I see one in two many times. I th- saw the third one, I believe, once. So uh, don't you don't have to take my word for this. <laughs> what about you? You got any thoughts on this?
1: Um. Hmm. I feel like probably for the reasons you say, Henry would root for the Capitals despite whatever his feelings about Russia are. And I think for sure if Philip is alive, he is rooting for the Washington Capitals because he thinks of himself as a Virginian slash Washingtonian. Even all these years later, being back in Russia, and it's Alexander Ovechkin, so sure. And Elizabeth, I think, is just bitter about everything.
0: I don't think. Yeah, I, I. It would be funny if Elizabeth suddenly became like a diehard hockey fan. If that's just what he got, what she got herself into when she got to Russia. Got a pastime somehow.
1: Uh, and she did murder Gennady, so I feel like watching hockey would not be great for her.
0: Oh, that's true, Gennady. Gennady and Sophia, man, they. They didn't do anything to anybody.
1: (sighs) It's like – And when Stan brings them up and especially when Stan says to Philip, do you know Oleg Barov? It's like it's so pregnant with A, this question because they're talking about the same thing in terms of the the KGB. But they're also (laughs) – there's like some level of jealousy in his voice of like – are you – are my two Russian friends hanging out together, and how do I feel about this?
0: Are you guys hanging out without me? Like, <laughs> Hatterholt saw you guys at Baskin-Robbins together, and I have some questions about why two Russian agents were meeting. But I also have questions about why you didn't call me to get ice cream with you. You know I love ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: Stan. Stand it's amazing, like, I feel like this is a show because it's ulti- it was, for the most part, really grim and really serious in a way that I complain about with a lot of other series, but here uh, the execution was so high that I didn't need a lot of humor. But it became funny how how much we would strain to find humor in a fairly humorless show, and some of that was intentional. Male Robot, clearly, after a while, you knew that Male Robot was being played for laughs, but... Uh, did. Like the amount of nervous laughter at that screening last night, at things that were not really funny just because people had to laugh, uh, I thought was kind of striking and mirrored my own experience watching the show.
0: I wrote like over a couple seasons, two or three seasons worth of next day columns where all I did was make jokes about it because I think that's the only way I knew how to process it. Because uh, – and again, we've talked about I don't often have the tolerance – for these grim bleak shows. A lot of times I just can't get over the hump and do it. But for some reason, this one, I was able to do it. And I think it's part because it was really, really good. And part because like you said, if you immerse yourself into it and dig around, you can find moments of humor in there, even if they're intended or not. And you can kind of play around with a little bit. It's, it was really a great show. I'm, I'm both sad. It's gone. And I'm, uh, very happy for my stress levels. I, I don't know if that was healthy,
1: and that it ended as well as it did. So we—it it yeah. doesn't become one of those shows where we look back on and we're angry. You know how dare they?
0: Right. All right. So now we're going to move on to some general questions, unless do well. We're gonna just going to be a little American's discussion to the general questions. Do you have anything else you want to say about the finale before we move on?
1: Um, it was kind of cool just watching it. Uh, how many, like the second time last night, how many mirrors of things I hadn't recognized. That the big confrontation between Stan and the others is in a garage when in this series premiere he breaks into the garage and Philip is on the verge of killing him before Stan decides to leave. The mirror of Stan with his hand up against the hockey, the ice rink glass versus uh, Elizabeth with her hand against the train window glass. There's a lot of sort of – parallels. Um, someone sent me and Matt a screen cap of um, Elizabeth with her hand against the window, comparing it to one of Erica's paintings where it looks like a woman is also reaching out in the same way. There's a lot of good stuff. I mean, do you want to talk about the dream sequence at all? Do you want to talk about the dream sequence at all? Uh, well, it's interesting in that, you know, when talking to Fields and Weisberg, they reminded me that in, you know, when she turns to Gregory and she says, I never wanted a kid anyway. Gregory told Philip back in season one that when Elizabeth was pregnant with Paige late in the pregnancy, she came to him all upset and said, I can't have a baby. I can't go back to live in this sham marriage. I can't do any of this anymore. I want it all to go away. Um, and instead they – you know, she went and she had him and she realizes ultimately that she wanted to have kids and she wanted to be with Philip and she wanted all of these other things. And now the kids have both been taken away from her and so she sort of – Picturing this alternate universe where she stayed with the other guy and she didn't have a kid and it doesn't make her happy because, you know, this is the life she chose instead and it has for the most part ended pretty disastrously. I I thought it was a nice touch and especially that image of the sketch of the kids drawn in the style of Erica's sketches was really powerful to me.
0: Yeah, it was that – you said this really well in your recap how it's a show about spies but it's really a show about marriage and it's a show about – family and it's it's a workplace drama except the workplace is all over Washington DC where they're murdering people for the Russian government <laughs> and uh, but but yeah, so to have it be to have the finale be the family and the family's pulled apart and you could see the moments with when Philip's talking on the phone to Henry that's devastating him because Philip had become very close to Henry and as they kind of went into one retire, one working. And the thing with Paige, you could see really destroyed Elizabeth because she had been working with Paige and they had that intense confrontation in the kitchen the other week. And so, yeah, it's you wonder as it goes along, will, will it keep being that Philip is most upset about Henry and Elizabeth is most upset about Paige? Or will it be something where it just kind of all lumps together and they think about their kids... Plural.
1: Uh, so good. And yeah, it's definitely you have to focus on the family stuff for it to ultimately hit as hard as it did. And I know there's some people, some of our commenters uh, who were really unhappy and they wanted punishment and they wanted incarceration or death. And they wanted much more spycraft in the finale than there actually was. Um, how do you feel, by the way, about the fact that Elizabeth never uses the side necklace? eyed um, necklace? I-,
0: I was fine with it. I mean it was – I I didn't I in hindsight I don't think I ever expected her to take that just because it would have been such a weird way for her to go out uh, unless it was some huge insane dramatic moment where like she goes hugging someone like maybe but seeing someone else take the cyanide pill and then seeing her take it off and put it in the hole in the ground kind of gave closure but a different kind of closure. You know what I mean? It it was, it wasn't, I'm taking this, this is the end. It was, I'm putting this away forever. Yeah.
1: No, and, and and that was one of the moments where the crowd applauded because they were kind of, they were relieved that she wasn't going to take it, but also sort of pleased for Elizabeth that she was able to let go of the mission to the degree that, you know what? I don't need this anymore.
0: Right. (sighs) It's a new show. It really was. Yeah. I just – hearing you say it in the past tense made me sad. Sorry, Brian. That's okay. That's okay. All right, so uh, general questions. Yeah. Amanda says – and we're going to stick with the Americans because why not? The the final episode unexpectedly made me cry openly, which got me wondering, which series finale made you cry the most?
1: Oh, man. There's a lot. I mean – I think the S.H.I.E.L.D. finale did, although that was that was sort of part tears and part just sort of like I was traumatized watching it, especially the stuff with Shane and his family. Uh, And I remember walking out of that screening feeling like I had just been on the beaches at Normandy or something. Like, how did I go through that and make it out the other side? That's one definitely the Six Feet Under finale montage uh, is is a tearjerker. There's moments in the Leftovers finale that did it for me. There's a moment in the ER finale, Brian. You may have heard that I, I've been watching ER lately. Oh, really? There's a scene where uh, Anthony Edwards' daughter comes shows up at the ER. She is like applying to medical school and wants to go to medical school there. And she introduces herself to Jerry, the desk clerk, and says, "You know, I'm. You know, my dad worked here." And he says, "Oh, who was he?" And she says, "Mark Green," and he gets all choked up, you know, thinking about Mark and. Watching it at the time, and watching it, you know, a couple of months ago, both times it it made me cry a little bit. So, those are some of them. What about for you? Do you cry, Brian? It's all it's all right. It's all right.
0: I I I, we, I cry all the time. We we've, we've discussed this. I am a uh, I am an easy touch when it comes to crying. I think I mentioned this a little while ago, a few weeks ago. I rented Paddington two, and I was watching it at home by myself at like midnight, and I am just laying in bed, and they get to the end of the movie, and I am ugly crying. Yeah like face face scrunched up, tears hitting the pillow it was it was something so I, I make no qualms about that. The interesting thing is though I tend to happy things tend to make me ball up sure. a little more than immensely sad things, so the halt and catch fire there were moments, and it's not the finale, yes, but there are moments throughout that whole season, like the the one death that happens that I will. That I want to just say out loud, but I won't because you should watch *Halt and Catch Fire* if you haven't. Um, that didn't that like devastated me. I was like catatonic for a minute, but I wasn't, you know, tears city. But some of the happier moments did it to me. Um, the last season of *Parks and Recreation* there are a few moments for me where where that will happen. I remember one of the first things that really made me cry on television was like the finale of *Fresh Prince of Bel Air*. When you know Uncle Phil tells him something along the lines of "You're my son," Aww. like period, and especially after, no, after the stuff, that. now I'm thinking about remember, Uncle Phil. Oh god! All right. Oh, god. do you remember? Did you were you a Fresh Prince viewer, or were you a little?
1: I was, a, was slightly I, too old, but I watched enough of it. You know, I I can still recite the the the, the canon poem and all of that stuff.
0: Do you like that scene where Will's dad comes back and then leaves? And Will does the "Why doesn't he want me?" speech, yep. devastating. I remember after the leftovers ended, someone set that scene to like the piano and violins of the leftovers, and I watched it and it wrecked me for like three hours. I'm very, I, I don't know. But I'm very susceptible to uh, yep. TV tearing my emotions yep. all over the.
1: Place. We we are we both wear our hearts on our sleeves with this stuff, guys. Yeah.
0: All right, so Nick. Nick says, I don't know what I'm going to do without TV Avalanche in my life, especially since I never got to hear a Brooklyn Nine-Nine cold open draft.
1: Well, you know what, Nick? You're in luck. Let's do a Brooklyn Nine-Nine cold open draft. Okay. All right, so we're each going to pick three cold opens from any point in the entire run of the series. I'm going to flip the coin, Brian, call it in the air. Uh,
0: I will call heads.
1: It is tails. All right. So I go first on this one, which means you'll go first on the next draft that we're doing. Okay. Uh, all right. For my number one pick, I have to take Diane Weest infection.
0: Okay. I think it's hard to fight with that one. That's extremely good.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: and that's... The one it keeps building, you know what I mean? It yes. builds and builds and builds.
1: And it's so not I, like any other kind of joke they've done. It's all about the editing and the camera zoom and the fact that, like, you know, Samberg, who is usually the biggest goofball on that show, just giving nothing because he will he will not indulge Boyle on this. And even the show doesn't indulge him because you don't get to hear the whole punchline. You know, it's like like yeast, and he you don't even hear the T before the smash cut to the credits.
0: Fantastic. Uh, I have to go with the Backstreet Boys one, obviously. I mean, how could you not? That one uh, was what – I am a difficult laugher. We've talked about this before. I I will cry at anything, but to get me to actually laugh and not say, that's funny, is hard. And I I don't like that. I hate it. I shouldn't do it. But when that happened and they cut back to the, the woman in the station, and I forget exactly what her line was, but she was like, that's the one who killed my brother. I died. Yes. I had to pause. I had to pause because I was falling apart so much.
1: It's it is so delightful. It's really really good.
0: Okay, what do you got next? All
1: right, uh, next I have to go with uh, Amy is late for work and everyone is betting on why, and Holt guesses that she's in line at the bank and turns out to be right, and everyone is surprised and he just smacks his fists together and says, "Hot damn!" And this was very early in the show when it was less when it was much more surprising that Holt would break character and now they do it so often that maybe it would be a little bit less delightful, but at that moment it was just so unexpected and so perfect.
0: That one is so good. And that's one of my favorite uh, Andre Brouwer lines, you know I mean? Velvet Thunder is is probably my favorite just because of the delivery. You know what I mean? It's, it's so good. It's so good. Uh I don't know where I want to go next cuz that was what I was going to pick. We've already taken the top yeah. 3. Um <laughs> What about the one where Jake has the Tarantula?
1: Oh, that's a good one.
0: I like to go cuz Jake Jake gives it a bunch of names. Yeah. I'm, I'm blanking on the It'll one where yeah. on I think Terry's one was like Spider. Yes. Yeah, but I'm a sucker for any time a Tarantula ends up on someone's yeah. head. Or like on someone's face, like the Home Alone thing where it ends up on the robber's face and he shrieks. I'm a big sucker for that. There's nothing (laughs) I can do.
1: Oh, God. That's very funny. All right. Let me think here. This is very hard now. There's a lot I could choose from here. Like Boil Bingo is really, really good, for instance. And I had one in my head a second ago, and it just flew right out. And I'm really angry about it, but it's not coming back. Uh, So therefore, I have to choose one that's a similar joke, I think – to um uh what do you call it the the hot damn but that's the one where they're doing their uh holt impressions and they're trying to predict how he will actually respond to eating a marshmallow and boyle is right and it's perfect just because like the way that holt eats the marshmallow is so ridiculous and how andre Brower plays it is so so funny that's yeah
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of these are just good excuses to get Andre Brower in a funny situation, right? Yep. I think that's it. Now, God, I thought this was going to be so easy. And now I'm sitting here and I'm so torn.
1: Yep. Uh, Oh, no, no, no. I know what it was. I know what it was. You can have that one if you still want it. Do you still want it?
0: Sure. Hula hooping. Damn it. Yes. And then then, uh, Holt looks at him and it's like – it's just like, no one will believe you yes,
1: yeah, something it's, like, it's that. like Yeah, it's like, why are you telling me this? Because no one will ever believe you. And he's deleting the photos as he does it. And Jake just Ugh. looks horrified and says, you sick son of a bitch.
0: Yes, that – you know what? Honestly, that – the fact that that slipped as far down our list as possible. We have a history of doing terrible drafts on this show. Yep. And dating back to just last week when we managed to do a whole ju- justified draft and no one picked Constable Bob and no one picked – ava and no one picked limehouse and i managed to pick two deputies yeah who i love but had a grand total of about 30 lines in the whole show
1: Yep, yeah and i picked boone who i love but probably should not have gone ahead of ava or some of the others so yeah
0: it's a good it's a good thing we're ending this podcast we've besmirched the name of drafts everywhere
1: yep all right so you you want to take marshmallows or you want to take something else
0: I'll take marshmallows just because I'm afraid if I pick something else, it's only going to go downhill. But let's do another draft.
1: Okay, Max says – this is fun. In honor of the NBA All-Pro teams, if you each had to draft a team of – he says five, but we're going to do three just because otherwise this podcast will be eight years long. And I know for those of you for whom this is going to be the last podcast in a while, you're probably saying, yes, we want an eight-hour episode. You know, I still have stuff to pack in the office, and Brian has things to edit, so – Let's, if you had to draft a team of three actors or actresses to star in a new hit drama TV show, who would they be?
0: Well, Kaba, we could also do this. Yeah. Instead of drafting, you could just list your five and I could just list my five. Okay. And if there's overlaps, there's overlaps. All
1: right. So are we, are, are we going with like current people, like you, only the living, for instance, only people who are active? I would vote only living. Okay. Can I bring Dennis Franz out of retirement? Of course you can. Okay, all right, okay. If that is the case, all right, then my five will be uh, Edie Falco, Dennis Franz, Carrie Kuhn, Andre Brower, and who do I want my fifth to be? There are so many. Uh, What the hell? Bry Kranz, Cranston.
0: That's a great list. Okay, great list. Uh, my, my list, you will be shocked, goes in a slightly different direction.
1: I am shocked already. Go. Uh,
0: so first of all, I, I decided I wouldn't pick any of the people that, that Max picked. So Max's team is The Rock, Paul Giamatti, Michael Stuhlbarg, Ian McShane, and Dowd. That's a good team.
1: Oh, my, yeah. Ian McShane is someone I thought very strongly about. He's because amazing.
0: You've got The Rock as your leading man. You've got Giamatti and Stuhlbarg, both of whom are like all-time – like secondary supporting actors, Ian McShane just give him lines to say, and and down is 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 wonderful. So I decided I couldn't pick any of those, which hurt me because I would have taken Giamatti and or McShane. So what I did instead was I went with Carrie Coon, obviously. Okay. Jason Statham, obviously.
1: Uh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, all right, that's fine. He if he used the, I, the I, but the Rock is on a TV show. Jason Statham is not.
0: He could be. I'll let you but... have
1: him. I'll let you have him. It's the last podcast.
0: Yeah, fight me. What are you gonna do? Uh <laughs> Travolta. <laughs> of course. Travolta's on a TV show, he counts. Amy Polar. Because nice. I like. And to close out my team, Wesley Snipes.
1: <laughs> the player star Wesley Snipes?
0: The one and only. How's that for a show? Carrie Coon, Jason Statham, John Travolta, Amy Polar, Wesley Snipes.
1: This better be an action show.
0: Oh, of course it's an action show.
1: And like the very first episode, better involve Carrie Coon beating the snot out of Jason Statham.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think the key is like Travolta is the mayor, Polar is the police chief, Statham yep. and Snipes. No, Carrie Coon and Snipes are the cops, and then Jason Statham is the bad guy. No. I don't know. I have to. Kerry no, no, Coons no, no, really no. Brian,
1: Brian, you're you are overthinking this. You of all people, it's a heist show. It is a Carrie so, Coon Travolta is leading a team of thieves that includes Coon and Polar and Wesley Snipes and Jason Statham is the guy they're trying to steal from, or possibly the guy trying to stop them from stealing in the first place.
0: See, no, I... Carrie Coon's leading the team. They're stealing from Travolta. Statham, Polar, and Snipes are on the team.
1: Okay, that's fine. I just okay fair enough and coon has to beat up statham to sort of establish her dominance on the team i'm with you
0: absolutely absolutely this is okay. a huge fight in a, in a driving thunderstorm
1: <laughs> oh i would watch that show i don't really know a premise for my show i just know if you put those five people on the screen together something good would happen
0: yeah it'll be fine they'll figure it out you might not even need a script you can just be like read whatever you guys you guys are fine just you'll be okay
1: Phone. It would literally be the reading the phone book show. Like Andre so, Brouwer reading a phone book would be awesome.
0: I would, no joke, watch about five, like not, no hyperbole for this. A 10 minute YouTube video of Andre Brouwer just reading names out of the phone book in alphabetical order. I would watch the whole 10 minutes. Of course you would. Everyone would. Absolutely. If you're listening and you know Andre Brower and you can get him to do that. Do it. I'll watch it. I might even post it on our website.
1: All right, guys. We have now come to the final segment of my time on TV Avalanche, and this may be the most important topic we've ever discussed. I'm so happy. All right. So Matt wrote, for the love of God, please save some time at the end of the last pod for Brian's thoughts on Brian Colangelo. It's the perfect note to go out on. Should should I try to explain to the non-sports fans the Brian Colangelo story as succinctly as I can, or would you like to do it?
0: I would love to hear you try to explain it.
1: Okay. Brian Colangelo is the general manager of Brian Grubb's beloved Philadelphia 76ers. He was, a, he was appointed general manager a couple of years ago, basically in a coup by the NBA to get rid of the previous general manager, Sam Hinkie, who took the art of tanking as far as any human being has ever attempted to do it in a delightful uh, strategy known as The Process – and the process. Trust made, the process. The process made the NBA look bad, and so they wanted to have a more legitimate NBA type brought in. So they brought in a Phoenix and Toronto alum, Brian Colangelo, to run the team. And a couple of days ago, uh, one of the writers at the Ringer published a story alleging, or at least raising the question of whether Brian Colangelo, NBA general manager, has five different Twitter burner accounts that he uses. One to lurk, but the others to actually tweet at fans, tweet at reporters, tweet at players, and, like, attack other – like, players on the team, attack other players, reporters, att- and especially to attack his predecessor, trust-the-process man, Sam Hinkie himself. Right now the Philadelphia 76ers are going into an investigation on this. Brian, you said that the latest development is that it may- the burner accounts may belong to Mrs. Colangelo?
0: Uh, yes, the, we have now reached the stage of the investigation where it gets past reporters doing reporting and it gets into like everyone on Reddit digging into everyone's internet history.
1: That's never seems, good. That is a never, no, never a good moment.
0: Now, there seems to be some uh inkling of possibility based on uh, phone numbers used to register accounts, blah, 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 that uh, Brian Calangelo's wife was the one running these accounts and – I will say there are three my three favorite things in the entire world. Number one is uh, well-made or poorly-made television shows that I get to talk about on a podcast. Number three, well-made or poorly-made television shows that I get to talk about on a podcast like this with you. Number two is the Philadelphia 76ers basketball franchise. Number three is pure, unfiltered chaos at all times and in any way, shape, or form possible and this falls into that last one because it, it like it's my team this says this has negative effects on my team this is uh, not ideal and yet you get to the part of the story in the ringer and please go read it please go read the story from beginning to end if you hadn't it is fascinating but at one point in the thing one of the burner accounts replies to someone and the person who was. Re- if you've never seen a picture of Brian Colangelo, he's always wearing these shirt collars that are extremely starched and like large. He looks a little bit like Dracula. Um, oh no. One commenter made a comment about how hilarious his collars look. And one of these burner accounts reached out to this person to say, It's a normal collar. Move on. Find a new slant. <laughs> and I've been like. Texting with some of my friends, and I've been like DMing people on Twitter. And just all caps, just normal collar, and I can't think about anything else when I see him. It's one of the most fascinating stories I've ever heard about in sports at all, just because this is the guy who was brought in to be the adult in the room. This is the guy who was brought in to bring some semblance of stability and like grown-up leadership to the team. And now you look back on oh, these things happening. And his career, his tenure might end in a scandal over burner accounts that defended his collars to strangers on the internet. It's like it – on one hand, it would be a very sad end to a career because if it is Colangelo, it's the sign of like a very just insecure dude who just is falling apart. Like you can't – that's just not great. And if it's his wife, you know that's – it's got to be hard to be in the wife's position – where a lot of people are just... Calangelo has gotten a rough go of it in Philadelphia because a lot of people, he... There's no one who, like, loves him. You know, there's a lot of people who love Hanky and view him as the villain, and then the the next best opinion on him is kind of neutral. It's kind of like, well, what are you going to do? So he's not, by any means, a beloved figure. So I can understand why his wife might feel a little, you know, upset and want to stand by her husband. I, there's something noble to that, I guess. But... This is also really fun and really hilarious. And I, I, I've i been fascinated by it since it happened. You texted me. Uh, our old coworker, Ryan Perry, texted me. Two of my friends texted me. And I had not – I was just sitting there watching something on TV and I had my phone sitting somewhere else. And it goes like – and it starts going crazy and I'm thinking – someone died or like what the hell's going on and it was all just there's like texts like have you read The Thing of the Ringer have you read The Ringer it's a normal collar it's a normal collar have you it's amazing it's uh, truly one of my favorite sports stories of all time even though it has a potential negative long term implications on my favorite basketball team in the world
1: find a new slant Brian find a new slant find a
0: new slant move on it's a normal collar (laughs) normal collar well, oh, it's, so, it's so
1: beautiful! All right, so we have a related question to that. Um, Once you read that one,
0: the related question. Oh, well, first of all, I was going to ask you, as a Knicks fan who has no uh, rooting interest in this basketball team, how are you? Is the is the story as hilarious? Oh, it's to beautiful! You?
1: It's so beautiful! I I love it. You know, I've I've tweeted multiple times photos of New Zealand from the Muppet Show, just with the caption, "It's a normal collar." Um, it's a normal <laughs> collar. Move on. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's ridiculous. And even if it does wind up being his wife or someone else, just the, the mere thought that it could be him and like that he is that he sort of can't let go of his basic insecurity despite being in this incredibly high level position, it feels sort of endearing at the same time. It's as ridiculous as it is. I love it.
0: Yeah, and the the other thing we should point out is that there is there's a lot of reason to believe it's him. Not only because of the there was like high level data analysis that someone did using AI to determine follower patterns, blah 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 blah. But it was also number one, the account knew a lot of things that the normal everyday fans probably wouldn't know, and that were known to be pet peeves of Brian Colangelo. Woj tweeted this something about how whether or not he's doing it. A lot of these things are inside information that is known to be things that Brian Colangelo likes or dislikes. It's very clearly getting out of point of view similar to his. And the other part of it is they had the five Twitter accounts, and the people from The Ringer went to the Sixers and said, we have two of these accounts that we're interested in. You know, Does Brian Colangelo have anything to do with them? And right after that happened, all five Twitter accounts went to private. Including the three that they didn't even mention, which is fishy.
1: Yep, yes, it is
0: fishy, fishy, fishy. It's it's got it's one of my favorite sports channels of all time. The, the, like, I like sports when sports becomes like a bad, goofy network drama. Sometimes, you know, I mean, the, I agree with Dan Levitard when he says the greatest play in sports history is when the ball bounced off Jose Canseco's head and went over the fence for a home run. It's the best play in the the history of sports. This is one of the best scandals in the history of sports.
1: (laughs) It's It's way up It is so silly. So let's bring this back to TV for a second for the benefit of the people who've indulged us this long and listen to us ramble on at length about the Sixers and the Knicks and the Yankees and the Phillies and this stupid godforsaken Eagles and everything else over the course mm-hmm. of the time we've been doing this podcast. So, what does Jason want to know? last question.
0: Jason wants to know, what TV moment is the equivalent of Brian Colangelo's secret Twitter accounts.
1: The first thing that came to mind is actually a real-life TV moment. I feel like there might be a good, like, in-story moment, and maybe you've got one of those, but uh, I feel like, during, and Bill Carter chronicled it in The Late Shift, and was then dramatized in the movie as well, when... Uh, NBC is sort of trying to decide what to do with The Tonight Show and Leno versus Letterman versus Carson and everything else. Jay Leno stayed after work and hid in a supply closet just so he could eavesdrop on the conference call all the NBC executives were having. So the next time he met with them, he could confront them with all of the things he had heard them say on what was supposed to be a secret call. And that's that feels like the early 90s equivalent of having five Twitter burner accounts.
0: That's that's a great answer and that's much more accurate than the answer I'm going to give because I tried to think of what would be a way to like if if this is the end of his tenure with the Sixers and it almost yeah. has to be just cuz even even if it's not him it it's cl- it's tied to him in some way that I think it makes it hard for him to continue in that role just because I don't know if the players can trust him and I don't know, it, it just, it makes it hard to continue. So I was trying to think of a way, an ending that is tragic, but also truly hilarious. And so what I came up with is Phil Leotardo getting his head run over by the car at the gas station in The Sopranos. <laughs> because he, he gets whacked and he gets it in just... The most embarrassing way—just uh, the car rolls slowly over his head at the gas station. That is, that is basically the uh, dramatic representation of what is happening to Brian Colangelo right now.
1: Ah, oh, that's so good.
0: Yeah, my first thought was like, was it a big twist, like the Ted dance and evil laugh, or like the red wedding? But neither one of those really worked for me. It had to be something that was so just stupid and embarrassing and tragic and hilarious
1: all at once. Uh, I think that's it. It is. Ryan. Uh, hey, uh,
0: so this is the part of the podcast where I'm going to say some nice things about you and you just kind of have to listen. And Aww. if you want to try to talk over them, I'm just going to mute your audio when I edit it together anyway.
1: <laughs> okay. So Okay. Fun. I'll listen.
0: Uh, I... I I've had a wonderful time working with you. I've had a wonderful time doing this podcast with you. Um, You, from the very beginning, you obviously have a much higher status in the industry than most people do. And you're not someone who's ever like lorded that over anyone. You're extremely generous with your time and with your knowledge. And I mean, there have been multiple times where I would be trying to get access to some press site and I couldn't get any replies. And you would say, just use my name. And I would say like, oh, well, in the next email, I'd say like, oh, well, uh, you know, I'm trying to review this for the podcast I do with my partner, Alan Steppenwall. Five minutes later, reply, access, boom, done. And you've just done this a lot. And I've had such, it's been such a pleasure working with you. And I know for the listeners out there, you know, sometimes you hear uh, people that you like, people that you read, people that you listen to can be like difficult or mean or the kind of an asshole or whatever. And I want to let you know, like, that's not – Alan is exactly as kind and generous as you think he is, probably more so. Uh, I've had such a wonderful time doing this, and uh, I wish you the best of luck at Rolling Stone, man.
1: Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. And it's – but now, now the shoe is on the other foot. So I'm going to say some nice things about you. Yes. And obviously I can't control it because you do the post-production editing here. But I will say, you know – People are aware I did another podcast with another guy at the site I was at before it was absorbed by Uproxx. Uh, and I when that ended I didn't want to do another one for a long time because it felt like all right how can I do this? That Dan's a guy I've known you know my entire adult life and beyond that, uh, you know I'm never going to have that kind of chemistry with anybody else. And I'd been working with at Up for a little while, and I thought all right well fine we'll give it a try. Brian seems funny. Brian knows knows TV. Let's try – I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know if this would be a good idea or not. And it has been so much goddamn fun, Brian. It's really – it has been a joy. The highlight of my week, a lot of weeks, is just the hour to hour and a half we spend on Zencaster doing this, hearing you you know, expound on your different theories because you look at TV in a very different way from me. And I like. I think that's great. I love the idea that we're not all watching this stuff and absorbing this stuff and focusing on the same things, even though our taste in shows is in a lot of ways very similar, other than something like Zoo. So, just on a professional level, it, I really love doing this, and it definitely. When I was waiting the decision about whether to go, one of the hardest things was, well, I'm not going to be doing the podcast with Brian anymore. But I do feel good that, you know, you and I are gonna stay in touch and we're gonna text and we're gonna annoy each other all the time, and I will still be, you know, playing your dad on Twitter whenever you tell one of your stupid jokes. Because I just you're you're such a good guy, and it's uh, it's a joy to work with you above and beyond the the things that we do professionally. Just, you know, if you are ever lucky enough to be at the same organization as Brian C. Grubb, consider yourselves lucky, folks.
0: This is terrible. This is this is awful. This is suddenly devolved into the the sappiest. Uh, this is all wonderful. This is that you're this is exactly what I'm talking about with Alan being a sweet man. And I was not saying these nice things about it to fish for compliments because I I cringe. The only thing that makes me cringe more than singing is receiving compliments. But no, this is this this has been a, a wonderful, a wonderful joy ride. I hope you, the listeners, have had as much fun as Alan and I have had doing it. Because I'll tell you, I've been talking about television with him for an hour a week for a little over a year now. And it's nice because I'm probably just going to have to run up to people on the street now and, like, grab them by their shirt collar and be like, did you see what WAGs did on Billions? And then <laughs> get arrested. Oh, WAGs. So, yeah, uh, there, there, there probably will be some uh, iteration of the TV Avalanche podcast going forward. Uh, there, there still has to be some work being done with that as to exactly what it's going to be and how it's going to work. I will probably still be here yammering into your ear uh, about some sort of stupid thing I saw on television at some point. But this is the end of this version. Uh, I think we went out very well. Uh, Alan, it's been a pleasure.
1: Brian, absolutely guys. Uh, you can still send e- email to both of us. Brian will still get the TV Avalanche at uprocks.com messages. And I believe uh, I'm going to be at Seppenwall at rollingstone.com if you want to send me a note there. But for the last time between the two of us, I'm Alan Seppenwall. I'm Brian Grubb. Today we're from Uprocks. See you in the next life, Jack.